Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 12th of December, 2023. Happy Tuesday to you. Action-packed program, as always. And at the end, we'll give away a signed book and let you know what books are coming up next. And the contest at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Check it out, won't you? Support the program and uh, become a part of uh, a growing community. All right, I want to start. I, I've got to be quick today. I've got a lot of stuff going on, so I want to get right into it. The um, woke up a little bit. There was a little bit of snow on the ground. The girls were wildly excited. It melted by like eight o'clock, but still very excited at the prospect of snow coming. Um, we have a winner as far as the standards. In American education go. Everybody remembers last week they had the testimony up on Capitol, disastrous testimony up on Capitol Hill. It's amazing to me how people can um, be shocked by this and be outraged that people are outraged by this. It's a real look into the mindset of the left. Some author, some writer, I don't know, I never heard of him, named Ryan Ruby up on Twitter uh, is just an example. He's one example of uh, the whole le- the leftist outrage over the fact that at least as of now, one of the three university presidents, these women, educated women, accomplished women, uh, diversity hires, they're all diversity hires. Uh, Liz McGill at the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, she resigned on Saturday, which was long overdue and a good thing. And these people are outraged at the prospect of merit mattering and people being held to account for their actions. What do I mean? Well, Ryan Ruby, Elise Stefanik, of course, after the resignation of McGill was was rather happy about it. McGill was terrible. They were all terrible. Harvard, MIT, they, they should be embarrassed and should resign based on that, but we don't have any decency left, and there's no shame anymore in, in, in uh, the public square. So Ryan Rube, at uh, least Stefanik, took to her Twitter account, said, one down, two to go. This is only the very beginning of addressing the pervasive rot of anti-Semitism that has destroyed the most prestigious Higher education institutions in America. This forced resignation of the president of Penn is the bare minimum of what is required. Yes, institutional reform has to come about. We need to return the concept of merit to the public square. But that's going to be a much harder fight. You've got to start off somewhere, and this is where we're starting off, pointing out the rot at the top. So Ryan Ruby retweets this. And he is outraged, of course. There are many, many people like this. He just happens to be the one I picked. So just to be clear what happened here, a representative of the state held a show trial that led to the forced resignation of a private citizen over First Amendment protected speech. Now, you're, you're a special kind of stupid if you really just boil it down to that. That isn't even a part of its base ingredients. But it's suddenly funny to watch these people become champions of free speech and recognize that there needs to be 
protect that the speech that needs to be protected the most is unpopular speech. They never say conservative conservative speech on campus is the least popular, at least with the academics, with the employees of the universities. But that speech, they're not at all concerned about protecting still. You invite somebody who's from the right, a Tom Homan, former director of ICE, who is actually in favor of securing our southern border, and there'll be a damn near riot, and the administration will likely decide that it's for safety reasons we're not going to be able to host this event. Or they'll charge you $100,000, your group $100,000, for security on campus because that's the left is going to riot. There's no problem with the left rioting. They have a right to free speech. They are allowed to protest. It's their God-given constitutional right to protest. Your God-given constitutional right to speak or to hear speech that you want to hear, to hear someone speak you want to hear, that doesn't matter. The left always overrules the right. It's fascism. It's what the Nazis did. It's what every left-wing group has ever done. Every pig is equal, just some pigs are more equal than others. But this has nothing to do with the First Amendment. Nobody's saying these three morons, these three diversity hires, did not have the right to speak all they wanted and say whatever they wanted. They were asked very specifically about university policy. University policy is different. University policy is not beholden to the First Amendment. It's different. You cannot, the government cannot imprison people or shut people down by the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. But institutions can. Institutions have codes of conduct. Going to a university is not, especially a private institution, is not a guaranteed right by the Constitution to get in. You can't join a club. Let's just say you're going to join a country club. Well, there are certain rules that you have to adhere to. You've joined the country club you're in, and you show up in, uh, I don't know, cut-off jeans and a T-shirt to go golfing. You are not going to be allowed to go golfing, more than likely. They're going to say something. They're going to send you to the pro shop or they're going to tell you you have to go home. They have a dress code. But you are a member of this. You have joined. You're in. Once you're in and you have a right to dress any way you want. Yes, you do. Outside of this place. This place that you've joined voluntarily has standards. And so if you do not adhere to them, you do not get in. You might not be kicked out unless you keep coming in or whatever like that, but you will be invited to leave on that particular day. If you go to Harvard, you're a nice Harvard student, and uh, your roommate assigned to you by the university demands that their pronouns are uh, jockstrap and womanhood, and you don't use them and you refuse to use them, there is a, or well, that's a little bit absurd. If you're, if your six foot five male roommate insists that he's a woman, or your, your, your roommate is a woman, but insists that they're a man, and like, well, this is, uh, you're assigned to, you don't want to live with a woman. You don't want to live with a woman because it makes you uncomfortable. You want to have a, a private space. It doesn't matter. You, there are mechanisms put in place 
to protect that student, to favor that student over the normal person, to favor the 0.1% over the 99.9%, to make sure that there is a tyranny of the minority, make sure that those people are respected. Now, that person refuses to, if they decide to call you Nancy boy all the time, I doubt that there is any outrage that will be uh, foisted upon them. They are a protected class that gives them special privileges. Like I say, the university has set up an entire infrastructure to deal with their complaints to make sure that they feel special, not threatened, that they are safe all the time. It is not reciprocated. If you are a woman who's living in a dorm and you wanted a female roommate and you get a six foot five guy who says he's a woman, there is no mechanism for you. You are, if you in fact complain, if you say, hey, wait a second, this makes me uncomfortable, you are the bigot. You are the problem. You are the one who will be dealt with. If you point out that somebody might want to, I don't know, cut down on the donuts, you have become the problem. As a matter of fact, the UK Daily Mail, this story is in it uh, yesterday. Sitting picturesquely in the foothills of the hiking and skiing mecca of the Rocky Mountains, Boulder isn't known as America's fittest city for nothing. Intimidatingly uh, hale and hearty, it's a place where the bars and restaurants are dead by 9 p.m. so locals can fit in an early morning ski or mountain bike climb before work. It sits at 5,400 feet above sea level, endurance, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the annual Halloween dash. Like goes on to describe just how fit Boulder, Colorado is. But now the fatties are moving in. And there's a whole bunch of pictures of morbidly obese people. Which makes it extraordinary that Colorado, America's slimmest state, where Boulder is situated, is set to become the first state in the U.S. for 50 years to ban fat phobia by law. And it is not alone in its aims to legislate in this way. Across America, politicians have been banning law, planning laws to add a person's weight to the list of characteristics such as age, race, religion, and sexual orientation that are protected from discrimination. This is where we're headed as a society. You wonder why diabetes is rampant and why people are dying. It's the number one cause of death, obesity, related illnesses. And nope, everybody's like, I'm beautiful at any age. Yeah, run up those stairs real quick. Run? What? Stairs? What? No. Yeah, no. Okay. No. You're not healthy. Urged on by fat pride groups, which have sometimes served as official advisors, several other states are considering similar laws, including New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Jersey. Noticing a pattern there of these states and the political leanings of them? Meanwhile, cities across the country have already started passing laws aimed at preventing discrimination against the fat. San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and as of last month, New York City among them. As the case of Superfit Colorado shows, the drive for fat acceptance is more about ideology than health. <laughs> Conservative states such as West Virginia and Kentucky, with the worst obesity problems in the country, are having no truck with such laws. But staunchly Democratic Colorado woke to its core, 
sees itself as one of the most progressive beacons in the U.S. In 2014, it became the first state to legalize recreational cannabis. Now, I'm sure that's worked out well, what with the homeless explosion and everything. But this is, this is the priority of the left, for the left. You can't point out that somebody is morbidly obese and that might not be healthy. Now, I wonder how long it'll be before doctors are told they can no longer have a discussion about somebody's weight with their patients. That will be, you're fat shaming people. No, I'm trying to save their feet. I don't want their feet amputated because of diabetes-related circulatory issues. No, no, no. You're the monster. That's what they're worried about. While they're sitting around on social media whining that three wealthy, educated beyond their intelligence diversity hires who couldn't answer whether or not calling for genocide of Jews violated the same speech codes that would protect a person's delusional pronouns or somebody with a gravitational pull's feelings. See, you point out, if you make a fat joke, you're going right to re-education or probably expulsion in these institutions. There will definitely be disciplinary actions. If you not even, you don't call somebody fat, you just say, hey, you're a little bit big. Maybe you should, I don't know, take the stairs. Maybe we could together go to the gym so that you are not going, uh, getting sick and going to die young. Nope, that is a problem. Who are you to tell me this, that, and the other thing? And you, you see all these women on daytime, or I don't even know, I haven't watched daytime talk shows in forever, but they used to have that cobra neck. That's what I called it, the cobra neck. It's the morbidly obese women in the one-size-fits-all spandex really testing that. One size may be able to stretch overall, but one size does not fit all. In any stretch of the imagination, it does not fit. It stretches over. There's a difference. But they get that cobra neck where you, they're going side to side, like they're Stevie Wonder playing the piano. And like, hey, uh, you know I look good. You know I... And they're standing up and they're winded from standing up from their reinforced chair. Going, you know I look good. You all want me. Like, nobody wants you. Nobody wants to get near you. Anybody under 5'8 is worried about getting caught in your gravitational pull and burning up in your atmosphere. Nobody once nobody finds you attractive now if you want to live that way that's fine it's your life live that way i'm very libertarian when it comes to that but you want me to celebrate it no the same mentality that tells people men that go if you are not attracted to a trans woman you're a transphobe you're a homophobe you're a mother there's something wrong with you no i don't like dudes with dicks that's you know i don't care if they had it the audi turned into an innie i'm not interested in somebody who needed uh, you know, I want to buy a car off the lot. This is going to be a horrible analogy. Maybe get me in trouble, but whatever. I want to buy a car off the lot that is ready to go, right? I don't need to, I don't want to have to, for the car I want, I don't want to have to buy a whole bunch of aftermarket parts and get them put in there, right? You see all these kit cars and everything. I don't want that. I want it right off the lot. I think most people want it right off the lot. That's the way to go. If you want to, you know, put on extra tailpipes and God knows what new seats and everything, you, you go right ahead. But I'm not the problem. I'm not weird. I'm not mean. I, I like a car that doesn't require aftermarket parts. I like it the way it came off the assembly line. 
And I think most people do as well. That doesn't make us evil or phobic or whatever. It means that we have taste and standards and we're, we're normal. Look up the definition of the word and actually probably print it out before the left changes the definition of the word normal. But you have these leftists going, no, they're getting rid of private citizens over protected speech. No, they're allowed to do all this protected speech. But as long as there are codes of conduct, if you, would if you just replaced Israel or Jews with black or gay, these universities would be burned down if anybody said what these leftists have been saying about Jews and Israel, Right? Let's keep the world clean, and there's a rainbow flag in a garbage can, and you're calling for a world without gay people. How well do you think that would go over at Harvard Yard? Probably not super good. So spare me. Yes, McGill is gone, but that leaves two others who are in desperate need of being fired, and then pretty much everybody else um, needs to be replaced as well because it's a cancer that is rotting throughout all of academia. If you look, Campus Reform has, it's in my Twitter feed, uh, Campus Reform has an article on Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard. And the headline is, Claudine Gay is a DEI hire lacking intellectual credentials, critics argue. The president of Harvard was literally hired because of her skin color. She's married to a white guy which is always kind of funny because the most militant leftists who insist on the victimhood of skin color always seem to be um, doing things that belie their claims. That's so oppressive. White people are horrible. This is Claudine Gay. The few She's written, I think, only 12 papers, no books. It's a very flimsy academic record. But they're mostly about how black people are oppressed by white people. And then she marries a white guy. It's very, very odd. I don't care who she marries. I just find the disconnect a little bit weird. It's just like always. It's because these people, their personal stories always, always undercut their arguments. You're just not allowed to look at their personal stories. Barack Obama Elizabeth Warren, the country is racist and sexist and founded on bigotry and designed to keep people down and blah. OK, well, you kind of came from humble beginnings and you're both now filthy rich and achieved the heights of power in this country. Why is it if, if your rhetoric were true, your biography would be impossible? I'm going to repeat that again because it's true and it's profound. If the left's rhetoric were true, the vast majority of their so-called celebrated leaders' biographies, their, their uh, achievements, their lives, their careers, would be impossible. Yet it happens. Now, how do you explain this? They, they believe they are special. They believe they are better than everybody else. They believe... They are the ones who, look, the, the, the deck is stacked. It's a steep climb. Most people can't do it. What I am so special. I am so brilliant. I am so unique that I could. Now, let me just state for the record that I don't actually believe that they believe that. I know that they know they're spewing BS, but they're doing it for their own political beliefs, their own political agenda. They need the culture of victimhood. 
They need other people to feel like they can't make it because when everybody faces setbacks and everybody faces setbacks, you go, oh man, the system's rigged, this sucks. You give up hope. And then you look for somebody else to protect you from this horrible, horrible system. And there are Democrats, the architects of this system, telling you they will protect you from it with no sense of irony. So gay is the same way at Harvard. Look at this article and you'll see that her academic standards or her academics do not stand up to scrutiny. Her peers and her predecessors at Harvard, nowhere near hers. She is light years behind them. In fact, Larry Summers, the guy who got fired from Harvard a few years ago, because I forget what he said, but it was something that was uh, innocuous, but went against the left-wing orthodoxy, which again is a little bit irony. Larry Summers was run out of Harvard. Not, and none of these people were like, oh my God, this is a violation of his First Amendment rights. There was no concern about that at all. It's weird. But he gets run out of there. Let's see. The Cornell West. I'm looking, trying to look up what uh, uh, Summer's opposition and support at Harvard. All right, here. We're dealing with Cornell West, the Cornell West affair. He was president of Harvard in 2001. Uh, a uh, number of Summers' decisions at Harvard have affected. In October 2001 meeting, Summers criticized African American Studies Department head Cornell West for allegedly missing uh, three weeks of classes to work on the Bill Bradley presidential campaign and complained that West was contributing to grade inflation. Summers also claimed that West's rap album was an embarrassment to the university. West, West put back strongly against the accusations. The hip-hop, quote, the hip-hop scared him. It's a stereotypical reaction, West said later. West, who called Summers both uninformed and un, an unprincipled power player in describing the encounter in his book, Democracy Matters, subsequently returned to Princeton, where he has taught, where he had taught prior to Harvard. Don't you love that? My golden parachute is to go to Princeton. Then he also noted the differences between men and women. Those two things together contributed to Larry Summers being fired, being run out of Harvard. There was no outrage, no concern, nothing for Larry Summers. <laughs> Can you believe that? <sighs> but now, somebody, and by the way, Larry, what I brought up Larry Summers for is, I think it was 1996, one year, in one year, Larry Summers published as many peer-reviewed academic articles as Claudine Gay has in her entire career, in one year. But she's the president of Harvard. She can't condemn calls for genocide. She can't say, you tell a gay student, I'm going to punch you because you're gay, or I'm going to punch you for any reason. You will be run out of campus whatsoever. But you say, you Jews and every one of you across the country and around the world need to be wiped off the face of the earth. And it depends on the context. It depends on the context. And as long as you don't literally try to commit genocide, you're probably kosher. You're probably uh, okay with the Harvard administration. 
This is the world that we have allowed to be constructed for us. And of course, leaders, like I'm going to play you this clip from Al Gore. Leaders on the left, the intellectual left, if you can call the left intellectuals, they love calling themselves intellectuals, but they are um, leading the charge. They're intellectually dishonest. They are bad people. They're hypocritical people. Listen to Al here on uh, with Jake Tapper this weekend. Talk about climate change, mental health, and Donald Trump. It, it does look like, like uh, the, the 2024 election will come down to President Biden uh, versing, versus uh, former President Trump. Um, and I'm wondering what you think uh, the world would look like under uh, uh, President Trump uh, being reelected, which is certainly... Uh, a possibility, not only when it comes to the climate, uh, but also when it comes to democracy. Well, I saw the other day where he pledged to be a dictator on day one, and you kind of wonder uh, what it'll take for people to uh, believe him when he tells us uh, who he is. And, uh, you know, the, the solution to political uh, despair is political action. And for those in, in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and independents who love American democracy and who want to preserve our capacity to govern ourselves uh, and solve our problems, now's the time uh, to get active. You know, there's a, there's a mental health crisis around the world, Jake, that we hear people talking about. I think that one of the main reasons for that uh, is that young people look uh, at the fact that we are not yet solving the climate crisis or dealing with some of these other challenges. Uh, and we hear this word thrown around, polycrisis. Well, solving the climate crisis is a poly solution. We know what to do. We have the means to do it. And we have to make sure uh, that we make the right political choices in our democracy to enable ourselves to make the right choices. My God, the fact that that guy came so close to the presidency in 2000. Imagine how different the world would be if that idiot had been in the White House on 9-11. God. But no, oh, poly- we got a poly... Everything comes back to a mental health crisis. It's because we're not dealing with, uh, with climate change. Really? You think that's what it is? You're the only person who thinks that. I think it's more social media and the jealousy instilled in people, encouraged in people. Uh, by leftists. That's the world that we uh, have, you guys have created. That's academia for you as well. It is a grievance industry. And I'm going to play you a clip from CNN, which very few, nobody's more surprised than me that I'm playing a clip from Fareed Zakaria. And it's a long clip, but it is a monologue that is worthy of note because he gets it and he hits it right on the head perfectly. I, uh, I, I, I'm stunned that I'm agreeing with Fareed Zakaria in any way, shape, or form. But I want you to listen to this because I think you will too. Here's my take. When one thinks of America's greatest strengths, the kind of assets the world looks at with admiration and envy, America's elite universities would long have been at the top of that list. But the American public has been losing faith in these universities for good reason. Three university presidents came under fire this week for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's codes of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand 
the broad shift that has taken place at elite universities, which have gone from being centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. People sense the transformation. As Paul Tuff has pointed out, the share of young adults who said a college degree was very important fell from 74% in 2013 to just 41% in 2019. In 2018, 61% of those polls said higher education was headed in the wrong direction, and only 38% felt it was on the right track. In 2016, 70% of America's high school graduates were headed for college. Now that number is 62%. This souring on higher education makes America an outlier among all advanced nations. American universities have been neglecting a core focus on excellence in order to pursue a variety of agendas, many of them clustered around diversity and inclusion. It started with the best of intentions. Colleges wanted to make sure young people of all backgrounds had access to higher education and felt comfortable on campus. But those good intentions have morphed into a dogmatic ideology and turned these universities into places where the pervasive goals are political and social engineering, not academic merit. As the evidence produced for the recent Supreme Court case on affirmative action showed, universities have systematically downplayed merit-based criteria for admissions in favor of racial quotas. Some universities' response to this ruling seems to be that they will go further down this path, eliminating the requirement for any standardized tests like the SAT. That move would allow them to then take students with little reference to objective criteria. Of course, those who would suffer most would be bright students from poor backgrounds who normally use tests like the SAT to demonstrate their qualifications. In the humanities, hiring for new academic positions now appears to center on the race and gender of the applicant, as well as the subject matter, which needs to be about marginalized groups. A white man studying the American presidency does not have a prayer of getting tenure at a major history department in America today. Grade inflation in the humanities is rampant. At Yale, the median grade is now an A. New subjects crop up that are really political agendas, not academic fields. You can now major in diversity, equity, and inclusion at some colleges. The ever-growing bureaucracy devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion naturally recommends that more time and energy be spent on these issues. The most obvious lack of diversity at universities, political diversity, which clearly affects their ability to analyze many issues, is never addressed, showing that these goals are not centrally related to achieving or sustaining or building excellence. Out of this culture of diversity has grown the collection of ideas and practices that we have now all heard of. Safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions. As the authors Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff have discussed, many of these colleges have instituted speech codes that make it a violation of university rules to say things that some groups might find offensive. Universities advise students not to speak, act, even dress in ways that might cause offense to some minority groups. With this culture of virtue signaling growing, the George Floyd protests erupted and many universities latched on and issued statements effectively aligning their institutions with these protests. By my memory, few took such steps even after 9-11 or during the Iraq war. 
In this context, it is understandable that Jewish groups would wonder, why do safe spaces, microaggressions, and hate speech not apply to us? If universities can take positions against free speech to make some groups feel safe, why not us? Having coddled so many student groups for so long, university administrators found themselves squirming, unable to explain why certain groups, Jews, Asians, don't seem to count in these conversations. Having gone so far down the ideological path, these universities and these presidents could not make the case clearly that at the center of a university is the free expression of ideas, and that while harassment and intimidation would not be tolerated, offensive speech would and should be protected. As CNN's Van Jones has eloquently said, the point of college is to keep you physically safe, but intellectually unsafe, to force you to confront ideas that you vehemently disagree with. What we saw in the House hearing this week was the inevitable result of decades of the politicization of universities. America's top colleges are no longer seen as bastions of excellence, but partisan outfits, which means they will keep getting buffeted by these political storms as they emerge. They should abandon this long misadventure into politics, retrain their gaze on their core strengths, and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. Absolutely. I don't think there's a single word in all of that that I disagree with. I'm shocked that it was allowed to be uh, aired on CNN. But it was absolutely 100% right. That's what academia has become. That's what's at stake. Not what these leftists, oh, it's a First Amendment. It's not, no, it's much more than that. It's not the First Amendment at all. It's holding people to standards, right? holding people to standards and treating people equally. We can either have a society where everybody is treated differently based on how many boxes they check on the progressive Scantron sheet of from hell, or we judge people based on who they are and merit matters. Individuals and merit. Probably not. it's going to be a hell of a fight. And a lot of it comes down to what happens next November, to be honest with you. But that is what the stakes are. Make no mistake, you want this country to be a non-stop grievance factory like these academic institutions are, or do you want merit, talent, ability to matter? It's up to you. It's up to us. we got to vote. All right, one more uh, thing here. I have an email to address. It is from... Is it, Tom, Tom or Thomas, it's signed Thomas, or well, the two from is Thomas, but he might go by Tom. It doesn't matter. He disses the lion, so he's Tom. And lucky I don't call him Tommy. Says, haven't heard you comment on the phenomenon, as far as the, the subject line was Swifties. Haven't heard you comment on this phenomenon. We've had at least five tol- columns in the Richmond Time Dispatch in the past week. Posted this the other day. It will lead off from a quote from Taylor Swift. Quote, we're a democracy. At least we're supposed to be. Where you're allowed to disagree, dissent, debate. Yep, she's a real superstar to savant. A dollar to a donut. She's never been debated or disagreed with in her lifetime. Dist is another matter. And the more she opens her mouth, the uh, re-important stuff, the less sympathetic I become. 
Jane Fonda and Henry Kissinger compared to Taylor Swift. I wonder where she stands on Israel Hamas. I think it's high time some pundit asked her since she's, quote, diving into deep waters and all. I I saw the clips from the game. I watched part of the uh, game on Sunday with the Chiefs. And whenever Travis Kelsey did anything, they cut to Taylor Swift. See, I, I'm not one of those people. I'm not that cynical. Like they're dating each other for the uh, the publicity. God knows neither one of them need publicity. He's in every third commercial during a football game, and she's everywhere on earth. So it's a little bit different. But um, I I can't bring my – first of all, she's got bangs. I'm not a fan of bangs. So not really interested in Taylor Swift at the moment. My daughters love her music, or at least Quinn loves her music. But the idea that we should care what she thinks about anything is absurd. When I look at her, I'm a cynic, Tom. When I see anybody super cheering, like high-fiving each other, screaming like they did the accomplishment at a sports game when they're sitting on their asses somewhere, you know, be happy for them, clap, applaud, whatever, but like cheering and like celebrating like they just won the lottery or saved a life or something is too much for me. It's too much for me. I've never done that in my life. Maybe I'm missing out on something, but it just doesn't register with me that way. So when I look at Taylor Swift, I, nobody knows how long they've really been dating, but I find it bizarre when people become a hu- new huge fan overnight, right? Taylor Swift never really showed any inclination of football, as far as I know. And uh, I, whatever her team was, it, it probably wasn't the Chiefs until Taylor, until she started dating Travis Kelsey. And now she is decked out in gear head to toe. She's overdoing it. And that's because I think that she has been surrounded, and you allude to it in your email, that she has been surrounded by people who will never tell her no, never even contemplate telling her no, never even contemplate disagreeing with her even slightly for so long since she's like 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, that um, her worldview is kind of polluted. And I think she acts, and now this is, again, my cynicism, I, I think this about anybody who like moves to a new city and you get this a lot in radio. Somebody moves to a new city or a new state and they're like, oh my God, our sports teams, this, that. And they're like, dude, you've never watched, you never, this was never your team. And now just because you moved here for a job, you act like you're a huge fan. It's fake. It's phony. It drives me nuts. It's the holding Caulfield in me. She's like that. She's like, this is what happened. This is how pe- she seems to be acting like she and her PR team believe somebody in her situation would be acting, if that makes any sense. Oh, I can't just show up, you know, dressed like a normal human being for a football game. I've got to get custom-made Chiefs crap from head to toe, nonstop, because that's what people do. That's not what people do. It's what some people do. I mean, football more than any other sport, people wear the uniforms out in the stands, which the players love, not because it shows support, but because they get their beaks wet with every jersey that's sold with their name on it. So, yeah, I'm a little cynical. As far as what she thinks about Israel and Hamas, I she recently, in the 20, 
2016 election, she started, I mean, we always knew she was a leftist. She came out as a leftist, endorsed Hillary, blah, 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 endorsed Biden. But I don't think her PR team would, and there was a big documentary. She's like, I'm finally able to speak my truth, blah, 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 blah. Uh, like, shut up. You, nobody was telling you to, to not talk. Quit whining, quit being such a martyr. But I think her PR team would tell her, you don't want to weigh in on this Israel thing. Because her audience is across the political spectrum right now, young people. And if she comes out and says, screw Israel, she'll get standing ovations from the vast majority of her tween and 20-something audience. But the parents who foot the bill for a lot of her crap for these kids would probably go, uh, no, no more Taylor Swift. She's she's stupid. And it would cause a lot of her fans to open up. I think, look, the left isn't going to ask her about Israel and Hamas. They're just not going to because she's useful to them right now. Joe Biden can barely function as a human being. They need all the proxies they possibly can get to try and motivate young people to go and vote. And she is it right now she tells young people to go and jump off a bridge and they're going to have to close the golden gate bridge that's how much influence she has they named her time person of the year so that she could spend next year trying to influence people to vote for democrats then they'll probably try to destroy her because they will always revert back to what they are it's like the what is it the, whatever the thing in the scorpion the frog and the scorpion trying to cross the river. I go, why'd you sting me? We're both going to die. Well, I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. So that's my thoughts on that. I uh, Also, I think Travis Kelsey dresses like a moron. You can. I suspect he's had a couple of concussions and they all seem to occur right before he goes clothes shopping. Anyway, as far as he signs the email, full disclosure, I'm a Packers fan, so I'm enjoying watching the Lions struggle here lately. Yeah, all right, there you go. There you go, Tommy. Got your shots in. Yeah, the, look, the, I'm used to the Lions choking. They, are, they should be the only team in the NFL with a Heimlich specialist on duty for when they do choke. But it looks like they'll make the playoffs no matter what this year. They almost they almost can't screw it. They still can but it, they'd really have to try to screw it up to not make the playoffs this year. That being said, I fully expect them to lose in the first game. So if you're inclined to bet, that's my two cents. Don't take my advice, though, because if you're inclined to bet, my first advice would be don't bet. Don't bet at all. But my second advice is if you're going to ignore my first advice, bet against the Lions because sooner or later, probably sooner, you'll win. All right, that is enough for today. And now it is time for me to make the announcement that you've all been waiting for, the book contest, the book winner. Well, the contest is a little bit different. I'll explain that in a second. But the winner this week is a man. I assume it's a man this day and age. You just can't tell, but I'm going to give him and me the benefit of the doubt. It's Mr. Bob Griffin, ladies and gentlemen. He has chosen Greg Gutfeld. Bob, you got a message from me. Look for it. Find it. Respond with your address, and thou shalt haveth the Greg Gutfeld book. That brings us to this week's contest. Congratulations and thanks, Bob. I am taking myself out of competition. 
because there'll just be one offering. And I tried it. I think I did this last year with Trump. I don't know if I if I offered something other than Trump. I knew nobody's going to pick it, so it's just easier to do this. I'm thinking, what book do I have easy access to without having to dig through the basement to come up with that's autographed? That is, and, and this may not be everybody's cup of tea, but it is uh, tough to find, valuable, a little bit valuable, I think, and uh, very cool. It is stones from the inside. Rare and Unseen Images. It is a mostly picture book by Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones, former member of the Rolling Stones. He retired. It's autographed on a book plate. You can see the picture at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Comes with a certificate of authenticity from Premier Collectibles and a certificate of authenticity from JSA, which is the top autograph certifier in the country, in the world, really. So there you go. I try to give something really cool. It's a big book. It's a heavy book. It's going to cost me a fortune to ship it, I imagine. And I don't even know what the hell I'm going to put it in. But I want to give offer up something. And I was looking at what I have in my room. And realistically, all I've got is Jan Wenner, which nobody's going to want, and Patrick Stewart, which I kind of want. So <laughs> you get Bill Wyman. Normally, I'd keep this book. But, uh, you know, I do like to thank everybody. And I know this isn't going to everybody. It's going to go to one person. But I like you to have at least the chance of it. And this one, if I do the drawing on Monday for Tuesday's show and you respond quickly, I don't see a real reason why it couldn't be to you by Christmas. I really don't. So hopefully that's the plan anyway. That, well, I mean, hopefully that's the plan. That is the plan anyway. So there you go. One book, one ring to control them all. You can go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com. I always forget to mention that one. Stones from the inside, rare and unseen images. It's a pretty cool book. It's got a lot of cool pictures. A lot. There's like Bowie, I see Lennon, I see the Beatles in general, all kinds of people. It is, it's like if you broke into one of the Rolling Stones houses and got their photo albums. It's 90% the pictures they took, and then there's some stuff that's professionally done, but it's a very cool book. If you're a fan of the Rolling Stones, this is the week. And if you're not a member already, this is the time to join. Get on it, man. Tis the season, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever the hell you sell, Boxing Day. So check it out. I appreciate the support, and so I try and find a way to support everybody. I'm looking at like three unsigned David Limbaugh books. I really got to send those to David and get him to autograph them and send them back to me so I can give them away. He personalized every all the, all the books I have, so I like I don't like to. I get it. The Gutfeld book was personalized, but I'd prefer to not give away personalized ones just because I don't think anybody wants a personalized book to somebody else. So anyway. Thank you for the support. We'll be back with the uh, book, my book, next year. So you'll get it if you're really desperate for my book. You can buy it for like four bucks, but and I'll get you a book plate or something. But if uh, you want a signed copy of my book, you'll get a chance in the new year. This is just the year-end big book. This is a pretty big book in all senses. Not too many uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers out there. And uh, this is heavy ass. You could do some damage. If you're looking for a murder weapon, 
This could be it. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bob Griffin again. Check your messages and get back to me. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.